Good morning. We are so glad that you're here today. If you're visiting with us, we want you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We are grateful for the numerous visitors that come our way from week to week. We appreciate so much your willingness to come and to be a part of our service. It might be that you're looking for a church home, and we have had a number of families that have placed membership with us. And if you are looking, then we want you. We would love to have you. And the elders, I know they are more than willing to sit down, answer any questions that you might have. And what they want to do is put you to work. And so we want you to come and to be a part of the work here at Olive Branch. We are very grateful for the beautiful day that we have to spend together. We're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 in just a minute as we think about the theme, giving ourselves to the Lord. It was said of the Christians in the first century that they first gave themselves to the Lord. When we talk about Christianity and living for the Lord, did you know that Jesus is to be the hub of life? Everything is, is really to revolve around the Lord. Sometimes we fail to, to appreciate this great fact. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, Peter talks about the importance of living a Christ-centered life, developing a life of consecration and conviction, which ultimately has a bearing on our conduct. I want us to look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 together today. And I want to just make some observations about what Peter has said. Listen again. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. As we think about giving ourselves to the Lord, I want to begin by saying that we are to consecrate our lives to the Lord. And I think that's really summed up in the first part of this verse where Peter said, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Let me begin by suggesting that there is a sense in which we have the proper regard for the Lord. What do we mean when we say having the proper regard for the Lord? Well, Peter said, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. That word sanctify means to set apart from the profane and dedicate to God. Now, in the New Testament, the Bible talks about how we have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. And what the Bible is saying is that we have been set apart from the world unto God. And ultimately, as people set apart from the world, we are a distinctive group of people. Peter would say, for example, in 1 Peter chapter 2 at verse 9, that we are an elect race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And so we are to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts. We are to understand that our lives are given in dedication or consecration to Him. When we obeyed the gospel, we were in effect saying, Take me, Lord, use me according to your will. We're saying, in effect, that Christ is going to be the summation of life, that everything in life revolves around him. Now, there's a second thing I want you to see. 
We talk about our regard for the Lord, but what about our relationship to the Lord? Because really what Peter is saying here is that we have a very important relationship to the Lord. He said, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. The idea is we've been set apart from the profane and we have dedicated ourselves to Almighty God. We have consecrated our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how does this impact my relationship to the Lord? What does that say about my relationship to Jesus Christ, the Son of God? There are a number of things. As I look at what the scriptures teach as they relate to the Lord Jesus Christ and me, first and foremost, I would suggest that Jesus as Lord is my master. The word Lord conveys the idea of a master. We talk about the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And the idea is that he is the one who reigns or rules in my life, in my heart. We have made him the Lord of our lives. That's what Peter is saying. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. In other words, you have been set apart from the world unto God. You have made him the Lord of your life. The Bible talks about how Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus is the one who, who ultimately directs my life. I have consecrated my life to him. And I'm saying, in effect, Lord, take my life, use it to your honor and glory. Now along the lines of Jesus being the Lord of my life, I understand that I belong to him. In 1 Peter, or rather in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the apostle Paul said, Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have from God. He said, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The idea is that Jesus is the Lord of my life. As the Lord of my life, he is the one that regulates my behavior. He's the one from whom I take all directions. There's a second thing I want to suggest. Not only is Jesus, not only is he the master of my life, but he is the mentor in my life. We talk a lot today about mentoring. I think about those who are growing older in life, mentoring young people. And the Bible teaches how the older men are to teach the younger men and the older, more mature women are to teach the younger women. That's mentoring. Well, we are to be mentored by Jesus Christ. Let me give you an example of this. The Bible tells us in the book of Luke that Jesus began his ministry at the age of about 30. And for some three years, Jesus had the opportunity to mentor, to mold, and to make the disciples, that is the apostles, into the men through whom the church would ultimately explode in this world. When you look at the first century church, the church began on Pentecost Day in about A.D. 32 or 33, and you have 12 men who had the responsibility of taking the gospel into all the world and equipping others to do so. 
In Acts chapter 4, we read about Peter and John. They had been questioned by the religious leaders as a result of the healing of a lame man at the gate of the temple back in Acts chapter 3. In chapter 4, they were being interrogated by the religious leaders of that day. And the Bible tells us that they recognized that these men were untrained and uneducated. But Luke tells us they took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. So for some three years, Peter and John, the other apostles, they had been mentored by the Lord Jesus Christ, hadn't they? The Lord Jesus Christ had taught them. They had observed him dealing with people. They saw him as a compassionate, loving, kind, generous Savior. They came to understand that his mission was to seek and to save the lost. They saw the great miracles that he performed. And so they were schooled, if you please, for three years. Now we talk about Jesus being the master of our lives. Not only is he the master of our lives, but he is our mentor in this life. How am I going to learn to live as Jesus would have me to live? How am I going to know what to do, how to act, how to react? By studying Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If I want to get, an, if I want to get a clear picture of the life of Jesus, then I read the gospel narratives. As I read those gospel narratives, I have the opportunity to sit at the feet of Jesus. I can see him at work among people. I can see how he transformed the lives of men like Peter and John. I mean, here were guys that had been with Jesus, and it was recognizable. When we spend time with the Lord Jesus Christ in his word, people ought to see a difference in our lives. Because we are saying, in effect, that he is the master of my life, he is the mentor of my life, and there's a third thing. He's my model. In other words, I'm trying to imitate his life. Do you remember what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21? He said, for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Peter here is saying that, look, we have the perfect example. That's Jesus Christ. We are consecrating our lives to him. We're trying to become more Christ-like in our behavior every day. Do we fall short? Yes. Sometimes we say, we do, we think things we shouldn't do. But he is the model. He is the supreme example. When I look at Jesus, I see, I see the epitome of what Christian living is all about. In other words, I see what I'm supposed to be like. You remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1? Be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. So he is my great example. Now, as we think about consecrating our lives to the Lord, First, our regard for the Lord, and then our relationship to the Lord. My relationship to the Lord, the fact that he is my master, my mentor, my model, will have everything to say about my conviction to the Lord. Because ultimately, these things lead to a life of conviction. Now, look again at what Peter said in verse 15. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense, some translations say an answer, to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Now there are a couple of things that maybe we ought to think about here. 
We talk about our relationship to the Lord and the impact that that has in our lives. The fact that we have consecrated our lives to him and then we have developed a sense of conviction. Peter is saying, number one, we must be prepared to give a defense of our faith. In other words, we've got to be prepared to share our faith, don't we? How am I going to share my faith? Well, I've got to invest in educating myself in the will of God. I can't share what I don't know, can I? I've got to spend some time reading and studying about the life of Jesus. I've got to become a person who is consecrated to the will of God and who has a sense of conviction. Now, we talk about preparing ourselves to share the gospel and the fact that we can't share what we don't know. Now, think again about Peter and John, the other apostles. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, the Bible tells us, Luke said that the council members, those Jewish leaders in the first century, they took knowledge that these men had been with Jesus. What did they see? They saw something special about the lives of these people. They understood, look, these guys have been with the Lord. And because they've been with the Lord, they are different. They were uneducated. They were untrained. They hadn't been to any formal school. But they had a lot of knowledge, a lot of knowledge didn't they? Do you remember what Luke went on to say? How they were commanded not to teach or preach in the name of Jesus? Peter and John said, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. That's conviction. Now we talk about having rock-solid conviction in the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to have enough conviction that we are prepared to share our faith with others. I mean, that's got, that's got to be internalized. What about the Word of God? What about the blessings of taking this word, internalizing it, and making it a part of my life? Did you know that the Bible is a book that's written for every person? In other words, it is milk for those who are described as babies in Christ. It is also described as meat for mature believers in Christ. Let me give you a couple of examples in 1 Peter 2, 2, Peter said, As a newborn baby, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. The Hebrew writer in chapter 5 talks about how solid food is for those who are full grown. That is, those who have matured in the faith. That's my goal. That's my objective. As I grow in the faith, what, what am I able to do? I'm able to share my faith, aren't I? Well, I've got to prepare myself to be able to share the faith. We talk about church growth and wanting to see the church grow and abound. I believe the church today can grow just like it did in the first century. How's it going to grow? It's going to grow when I'm equipped to be what I'm supposed to be. When I have consecrated my life to the Lord, when I have a sense of conviction, when I have this, this sense of conviction, this overriding conviction that says nothing, absolutely nothing, is going to stop me from preparing myself to share the gospel with others, and then when I have the opportunity, I'm going to share it. It's this message that's just, as we say, dying to get out. We're trying to get it out 
to a lost and dying world. And so I'm feeding on the word. I'm making adequate preparation so that I can share what I believe with my family members, with my friends, with my co-workers, with my classmates, with people that I come in contact with on a daily basis. There's a second thing I want you to see. Not only must we be prepared to share our faith, we must be precise in the sharing of our faith. Look again at what Peter said. Be ready to give a defense. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you. The word defense, as used by Peter, means a verbal defense, a reason statement or argument. Now let me just, let me just pause here and talk for a minute about what Peter's saying. He's saying, as people who have consecrated our lives to the Lord, and as people who have developed a sense of conviction, we are at a point in our spiritual lives when we can sit down and give a logical defense of what we believe. In other words, we're like an attorney going to court. We've made adequate preparation and we're going to set before the court an argument, a viable argument. Scripturally, spiritually speaking, when somebody asks you about the hope that resides within you, can you give a reasonable argument? What if somebody were to say to you, why do you believe in God? Why do you believe that God is the creator of the universe? What would you say? Somebody says, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in his word. Well, you've got you've got to form a logical argument, don't you? You've got got to begin by, by talking about some things that are common to all people. For example, everything has a creator, doesn't it? We talk about the argument of design. A suit of clothes, somebody had to make it. A watch, somebody had to make it. Those are just basic fundamental truths. By the same token, there's an almighty architect, the God of heaven. Look at at the preaching and teaching of the apostle Paul. In Acts chapter 17, we read of Paul going to the city of Thessalonica. And the Bible says, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue of the Jews and for three Sabbaths reasoned with those people from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. The Bible says that some of them were persuaded. A great multitude of the Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. What happened? Paul and Silas went in, they made their case, people understood that case, and what'd they do? They became obedient to the faith. All I'm saying is, we've got to take this message, it's got to resonate in our lives. This message has got to be like a burning fire within us. We've got to have enough conviction to share our faith, but we've got to prepare ourselves to do that. How do we prepare ourselves to do that? By spending time in the Word, by attending worship, by delving into spiritual things on a daily basis. Now, very quickly, number three, let's talk about our conduct in the Lord. We see the importance of consecrating our lives to the Lord 
of having conviction for the Lord. And let me say this, people can tell whether or not we're consecrated to the Lord. They can tell whether or not the Lord Jesus Christ is my master. They know whether or not he has mentored my life and they know whether or not he is the model of my life. If I have consecrated my life to the Lord, then obviously I ought to have some conviction, shouldn't I? I ought to have rock solid conviction. People ought to see Christ living in me. My life ought to revolve around the Lord. I ought to give myself to the Lord on a daily basis. And let me just make this observation very quickly. One of the reasons the church is not what it ought to be in some places is because people can see we're not what we claim to be. They, they can tell it. People can tell whether or not we are authentic. They can tell whether or not the Lord Jesus Christ is the hub of our life or whether it's just piecemeal Christianity. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 4, the Bible talks about the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen to what he said. Paul said, for Christ who is our life. What Paul is saying there is, Jesus Christ is the hub of life. Everything revolves around him. When everything revolves around the Lord Jesus Christ, that means we are consecrated to him and we have conviction. Enough conviction to what? To share our faith with other people? To be present for the worship of Almighty God? To be involved in the work of Almighty God? I understand all of us have responsibilities and things going on in life, but listen. We need to make Jesus the central figure of life. Everything needs to revolve around him. Now let's talk about our conduct very quickly. Listen to what Peter said. He said, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you. A reason for the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. Number one, our responsibility in giving a defense for the faith. We've got to have the right attitude. Peter said, we're to have the spirit of meekness. Meekness means strength under control. We want to have the right attitude, don't we? We want to have a Christ-like spirit. The Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2 talks about the servant of the Lord. doesn't have a quarrelsome spirit. He's patient. He has meekness or humility. And he's teaching those who oppose themselves. Why? If peradventure God may grant them repentance to the acknowledgement of the truth. What we want to do is see people come to the Lord, don't we? But we've got to have the right spirit. We can't have an arrogant, caustic, haughty spirit. We've got to have the right conduct. And then our accountability in giving a defense. Peter said we're to do it with meekness and fear. In other words, we defend what we believe. We tell others, this is what I believe. This is why I believe it. But we do it with reverence for God. And also... We do it in view of the judgment to come. Did you know that when you share your faith, you're responsible for what you teach? You can't teach what you don't know. When you sit down and somebody asks you, why do you believe what you believe? Why do you practice this? You people say that you do this or you do that. Or you say this is what the Bible says about the church. You better be able to answer them correctly. James said, be not many teachers, knowing that we, we shall receive the stricter judgment. All James is saying is that as teachers of the word, we're going to give an account of what we teach. And so that's why we've got to have the right conduct. Number one, we've got to have the right spirit. 
And number two, we've got to understand that we are talking to people about things which are eternal in nature. I want to ask you this question. We talk about giving ourselves to the Lord and being what we ought to be, making the Lord Jesus Christ the hub of life. Is it not the case that conduct is important? Is it not true that my attitude, my spirit says everything about who I am? When we talk about Christianity, look, we're talking about things which are eternal in nature. We're talking about heaven on the one hand, hell on the other. Eternal life, eternal condemnation. We're trying to point people in the direction of Jesus Christ. And what we're saying to people in the world is this. Look, we've given ourselves to the Lord. What we want you to do, give yourself to the Lord. Look around in our community. Look around in our state. Look around in our country. There are a lot of folks, their lives are in disarray. They're upside down. They have problems in the home. They've got problems at school. They've got, you, you name the problems, they've got them. They've got problems with drugs and alcohol and everything else. And what we're saying is there's a better way of life. We're saying there is a Lord, and that Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins. He went to the cross for us, and if you'll obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, you can begin getting your life on track and being what God would have you to be. You're well on your way to heaven. We're talking about trying to get people to be in eternity with Almighty God. But we've got to have some conviction. It's got to begin with our consecration. It's got to be followed through with our conduct the way, we, the way we carry ourselves in this world. We've got to be model Christians. And in so doing, hopefully and prayerfully, we're leading people to the Lord. I want to close by asking this question. Are you a New Testament Christian? Have you given yourself to the Lord? It may be the case that you're here today, you've never obeyed the gospel. I want to encourage you to do that today. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Be willing to repent of your sins, confess his name, be buried with him in a watery grave of baptism. In so doing, the Bible says you'll enjoy the remission of the forgiveness of your sins, Acts 2.38. Maybe you're here today, you're, you're a member of the church, but your life's not what it ought to be. You know you haven't really consecrated your life to the Lord. You know you don't have a sense of conviction. You know your conduct doesn't meet the standards set forth in the scriptures. Let me tell you what. The Bible can turn your life around, turn countless numbers of people around. It's given hope to people in darkness. If you're here today and you're unfaithful to the cause, could we, could we pray for you and with you, knowing that God will abundantly pardon as we stand and sing?